Welcome. I'm Cliff Hedges. This is Pastor Cliff's Notes. This is a podcast where we're studying the Bible. We're working our way through the book of Matthew. Today is episode 766. Look at Matthew chapter 12, verses 22 to 32. Let's read the passage. Then a demon-possessed man who was blind and unable to speak was brought to him. He healed him so that the man could both see and speak. All the crowds were astounded and said, Could this be the son of David? When the Pharisees heard this, they said, This man drives out demons only by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. Knowing their thoughts, he told them, Every kingdom divided against itself is headed for destruction, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons drive them out? For this reason, they will be your judges. If I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. How can someone enter a strong man's house and steal his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can plunder his house. Anyone who is not with me is against me, and anyone who does not gather with me scatters. Therefore, I tell you, People will be forgiven every sin and blasphemy, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. Whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or the age to come. This is the Gospel according to Matthew. Matthew is writing this Gospel, this account of the ministry of Jesus, to convince people to have faith in Jesus, to convince people that Jesus is the Messiah, the fulfillment of the Old Testament. He's presenting this teaching, preaching, and healing ministry of Jesus. And we're in this section in chapter 11 and 12, where we're looking at various responses to Jesus. We saw John the Baptist. He had this response of doubt. We saw the towns of Galilee. Their response was indifference. We saw some responded in faith. Then we saw the response of opposition, specifically over the Sabbath. They were accused of violating the Sabbath rules. Because of that, the opposition started to plot how to kill Jesus. Then we saw a little section last time where Jesus withdrew. Even though he withdrew because of the opposition, he still continued to heal people. But he warned them to keep it a secret. Now we continue in... Chapter 12, verse 22. Then a demon-possessed man who was blind and unable to speak was brought to him. We've seen Jesus heal blind people. We've seen Jesus heal deaf people. This man is both blind and deaf. He healed him so that the man could both see and speak. He's specifically demon-possessed. Some people are sick because they're sick, and Jesus heals the sickness. Some people have some kind of physical problem because of a demon possession, and the solution there is to cast out the demon. In this case, Jesus casts out the demon. Verse 23, all the crowds were astounded and said, could this be the son of David? Notice here, the crowds are responding. We've seen different categories of people. There's disciples, those that are followers of Jesus. Then the crowds, they're interested. They haven't yet become followers, but they're interested. And then you have the opposition. Crowds are astounded. Astounded is a different verb 
than what we've seen before. We've seen where they were amazed, but this is a stronger verb, astounded. And astound is the good translation for it, but it's more than amazed. It's really amazed. It's astounded. And they're saying, could this be the son of David? This because this is such an amazing healing, unlike other healing. He's raised people from the dead. I think it's just the culmination of all this. There are legitimate exorcists that operate during this time who actually perform exorcisms, cast out demons. But nobody has ever done it to the degree and with the most impressive results like Jesus has. So the response here is, this certainly goes way beyond anything we've ever heard of before. Could this be the son of David? Now, the son of David, that's code for the Messiah. We saw this back in chapter 9, verse 27. Jesus was in Capernaum. And we see in 9:37, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. Jesus took them inside and healed them. And the son of David was looking back on uh, what we see in Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. Son of David is reference to the Messiah. And we saw that was the first place where we see son of David in Matthew. Now what we're seeing today, this is the second place. They're saying perhaps this is the son of David. Then the very last occurrence will be in chapter 22, where Jesus is talking with the Pharisees, saying, whose son is the Messiah? And they say, he is the son of David. So when you say son of David, you mean the Messiah. So the crowd's starting to ask, is this guy really the son of David? That is, is he the Messiah? Verse 24, when the Pharisees heard this, they said, this man drives out demons only by Beelzebul, the ruler of demons. What was key with the last time we saw the Pharisees? We were seeing the beginning of opposition there, where Jesus encountered the Pharisees when they were picking the grain as they walked through the grain to get a little snack, and accused of violating the Sabbath rules. And he healed the man in the synagogue on the Sabbath by saying, stretch out your hand. That was considered a violation of the Sabbath. So Jesus, in their eyes, is a lawbreaker. He violates the rules of God. He violates the Sabbath rules of the Mosaic law. He is a lawbreaker. So no way he's the son of David. So they are saying this man drives out demons only by Beelzebul, the ruler of demons. So they can't question his power. He's legitimately without ambiguity, casting out demons. So they can't question his power. All they can question is his source of power. And in their minds, he's a lawbreaker. Therefore, this can't be by the power of God. Now, we've seen this idea of him casting out demons by the ruler of demons. We saw it back in chapter 9, verse 34, where the Pharisees again said he drives out demons by the ruler of demons. Didn't name him. Then in chapter 10, verse 25, when Jesus was instructing his disciples as part of his discourse on mission, Jesus told his disciples to expect opposition. And he said, if they called the head of the household Beelzebul, how much more the members of his household? So he was saying that they will do this, and here they are. 
they're seeing. He drives out demons by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. Verse 25. Knowing their thoughts, he told them, every kingdom divided against itself is headed for destruction, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he's divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? So he's using just a, a, a logical argument here of that doesn't make sense. You're saying that what I'm doing, I'm doing by the power of Satan. I am casting out Satan's demons by the power of Satan. That doesn't make sense. Continues verse 27. And if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons drive them out? For this reason, they will be your judges. Okay, so what's he referring to here? Your sons. What he means is the other Jews who cast out demons. Because like I said, exorcism was a real thing. There were real people who really cast out demons legitimately. Now, nobody had done it the way Jesus does it. Nobody had done it to the degree that Jesus does it. Nobody does it with the results that Jesus does. Well, that's why they're so impressed. But he's saying, you guys seem to approve of other people who cast out demons. What are they doing it by? And for this reason, they will be your judges, meaning the legitimate exorcists in your eyes. Verse 28. If I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Now, this is a big statement. All right, you got two choices here. Either in your mind you're saying, I'm casting out demons by the power of Satan. Well, what if the crowd is right and I am casting out demons by the power of God? Because if that's the case, just as the crowd is noticing, ain't nothing like this ever happened around here before. This is something new and different and very impressive. We are astonished. Then the kingdom of God has come upon you. This is the second time we see kingdom of God used by Matthew. And he uses it here specifically because we're talking about the kingdom of Satan or the kingdom of God. Normally Matthew uses kingdom of heaven, but here he's being a little more personal here. You got the kingdom of Satan, you got the kingdom of God. Which do you choose to say this is? And that's a big point here. In verse 29. How can someone enter a strong man's house and steal his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can plunder his house. This is a language we see in Isaiah. Isaiah 49, verses 24 and 25. God's speaking about how he's going to rescue his people. He says, Can the prey be taken from a mighty man or the captives of a tyrant be delivered? For this is what the Lord says. Even the captives of a mighty man will be taken, and the prey of a tyrant will be delivered. I will contend with the one who contends with you. I will save your children. So there God said in Isaiah, okay, you guys have been taken captive, but I'm going to step in and overpower your captors and free my people. Jesus is using that kind of language here, speaking about dealing with Satan. Those that are held captive by Satan do through demon possession right now, Jesus is stepping in and freeing those people. He is tying up the strong man and plundering his house. In verse 30, anyone who is not with me is against me, and anyone who does not gather with me scatters. We see this kind of language other places. 
really saw it big time in John's letters, First John in particular. There are two groups of people in the world. Those who are aligned with God and those who are not. You can't be indifferent. That was the woes he pronounced on the towns of Galilee. Their problem was indifference. They didn't care. You can't be indifferent. To be indifferent is to say, no, I reject God in this case. You can't be wishy-washy. You're either with God or you're not. There's two groups of people in the world, those who are followers of Christ and everyone else. And that's why he says, if you're not with me, you're against me. And if you're not gathering with me, you're scattering. Continues verse 31. Therefore, I tell you, people will be forgiven every sin and blasphemy, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. Whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. Well, this is the issue of the unforgivable sin. And sometimes people get really caught up in this and I think try to take it out of its context and worry, have I committed the unforgivable sin? Well, what's he talking about here? What's going on? What you have are these Pharisees who are observing what Jesus is doing. And the crowd gets it. Here is this man who we think might actually be the Messiah, who has come and is doing all these incredible things. The Pharisees see the same things the crowd does, but they refuse to accept that he is the son of David because he can't be because he's not following their rules. Therefore, he must be operating in the power of Satan. So they are declaring what is most obvious to everyone that the Messiah has come. The kingdom of God has come. And Jesus, who is doing these things, by the power of the Holy Spirit, as testimony to the power of God, they are saying, no, he's doing these things by the power of Satan, as a servant of Satan. They are basically flat out declaring what is absolutely, without ambiguity, the work of God and attributing it to Satan. This, I think, is what he's speaking about, is the blasphemy against the Spirit. Now, this, the word's about if you speak against the Son of Man. Some people will oppose Jesus. They do oppose Jesus. But then repent and come to faith. But what these Pharisees are doing, they are declaring that what is plainly the power of God, they're declaring to be the power of Satan. And the, the problem is they're so convinced he's a lawbreaker. He cannot be a servant of God. So it must be the power of Satan. We actually look back in Isaiah again. Isaiah 5, verse 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. That's what they're doing here. They are calling good evil. Even worse than that, they're calling the work of God the work of Satan. And it's hard to come back from that. So don't get caught up. Have I committed the unpardonable sin? Well, have you declared before people where it was so unambiguously the work of God and declared that to be the work of Satan and led people astray? Probably not. So you're, you're not in that category. Mark 3.30, also 
uh, talks of this specific instance and says they were saying that he had an unclean spirit. They were basically calling the Holy Spirit an unclean spirit. So they were calling the Holy Spirit a demon. That's the problem here. So here we have the responses to the ministry of Jesus. They have really ramped it up now. It's not just declaring him to be a lawbreaker, but they're now declaring him to be an agent of Satan. Thanks for joining me. Join me again next time as we continue working through Matthew.